If you have your Bibles, I would be so grateful if you could turn to them to turn to James chapter five. James five, you're on a device. Uh, we're in the ESV version. So you click on that and you'll be tracking with us. So this is our last, last sermon in the book of James. We started last September, since September. We've been going verse by verse uh, through this book, which was a letter that James originally wrote to Jewish Christians who had been scattered into all of these regions. And as they were scattered into all of these regions, um, they were experiencing things like rejection and mistreatment and persecution by their own people. And one of the distinct characteristics that you guys have seen, man, as we've just gone through this book, um, one of the characteristics about James is that this dude is blunt. He's a blunt guy. Um, and he's really unapologetic in a lot of ways in how he instructs these particular brothers and sisters and then us to live lives that are characterized uh, by godly wisdom. In fact, when we go to chapter three, James tells us the kind of wisdom that needs to be characteristic of those who claim to have an authentic Christian faith. Go back to chapter three. I had you go to five. I have a tendency to lie. So uh, go to chapter three, verse 13. This is, this is what James says. And this is where we really got the title for the series, as you can see behind me. But he says this is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I'm sorry, that was chapter five. Let me go back to three. Man, we not a real professional operation here. Let me get to chapter three here. Um, here I am in three. Who is wise and understanding among you? Not me, because I usually get the chapter and verses wrong. But this is what James says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Then he says this in 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so really this was sort of the heart of how we've been sort of traveling through the book of James. Is like, what is this wisdom from above that he's been communicating to us over the last nine or 10 months? How does this play out for us practically in our lives? And not just as a set of rules that we need to obey because that's exhausting. And maybe some of you just have like come through like church environments where man, you just had a dude up front or you were part of a particular kind of church culture where they were just pounding out all the time, all the things you needed to do because you're a Christian and because that's actually what's gonna make God just a little happier with you at the end of the day. James is really saying something entirely different. He's saying, hey, what is evidenced in the character of a Christian but these things that characterize us, that give way to wisdom? But at the heart of that is, is a love that we have for Jesus based on a love that he has for us. And so if we read James and we're not careful, we just see a bunch of rules and regulations for the Christian life. 
But in actuality, as we've been plunging deeper into what we see is that it's not just a bunch of rules to abide by, but it's this abiding in Christ based on his love and care and compassion for us that compels us to do those things that please him because in those things we find life and we find a sense of delight and we find a sense of joy. So it's getting it right, right? It's stacking it up correctly. It's getting the balance right. And so what we see all through the book is that authentic faith manifests itself in a life of good works that are characterized by a countercultural wisdom that is seen and experienced by others. Now, the final two verses we're looking at this morning in some ways, it kind of boils down all the practical wisdom that James has been communicating, which is simply this, which is to return to Jesus. That's all you got, Ronnie? Return to Jesus after nine months? That's it. I think that's all I got every week, by the way. Just so in case you were wondering if this thing's going to advance much further, it's not, right? But to return to Jesus. And you know what we love? We, we, we love the idea of returning to things. We love the idea of finding things that have been lost, right? We love lost and founds, especially when the thing in the lost and found is the thing we've lost and found. Throw a little Dr. Seuss out there for you right now. But I had, this, I had this one story that came to mind. I think I've told this before, so if I have, uh, enjoy once again, you know, another story by a pastor that just doesn't have a wealth of stories, right? Um, but man, I remember this. I lost my cell phone one time because I left it on the top of the car. I was in Worcester filling up, pulled out of the parking lot, and, uh, you know, obviously it fell off. I didn't realize it until we got home. And that hardly ever happens to me, but like once a month, you know, I, like I lose something important. Um, so we get home, the cell phone's gone, and Melissa goes, well, but I think I can track it. And so she tracks it with her phone. And so, man, there's a little dot on the screen, and we just kind of follow it until we find it. And we pull up to this field halfway between Ashland and Worcester, and there's a dude on a tractor. And I'm like, where have you brought us, lady? You know what I mean? We're looking for the phone, not like harvested produce, right? And so this dude's in his tractor, and I said, I'm not getting out. This is insane. I just want my phone, right? And she goes, hold on. So she hops out of the car. She runs up to the dude in the tractor, and he stops, and she says, excuse me, do you have our phone? <laughs> and this dude says, how on earth did you know that I had your phone? He reached into his pocket. And he pulled it out. He said, I was pulling out of the gas station in Worcester and I saw it laying there. So I just grabbed it. And he said, how did you know that I had it? And it's like, I mean, dude, do you, like, do you know what you're holding in your hand right now? You know, this technology. And she said, I was just able to track it. I was able to find it with my phone. And so we searched and we found you and we found it. And this is a little bit of what James is talking about this morning, not found cell phones. Um, but people who have wandered from the faith. This is how he finishes his letter. And he distills his message here in these two verses down to three key points, which is wandering, rescuing, and covering. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude 
of sin. So it's strange maybe in one way that this is the way James, out of all of this wisdom that he's been given to us, we read this and we go, man, I don't see how this is connected. But I think by the end, hopefully we'll see how just how tied it is with his message through the entirety of the book. So the first thing I want to look out is this look at is this is this wandering. James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and he's been encouraging Christians all through the book who are in danger of spiritual drifting, in danger of wading into worldliness, which, by the way, can be a Christian's tendency when he or she is being tested and experiencing suffering and trials of varying kinds. We, we know from studying James that not everyone who professes faith in God is someone who has a genuine faith. And that, like, that unsettles us when we read that and we process that. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, knows the Lord, right? Jesus actually made this clear. Turn with me to Luke 8, make a hard left and go to the Gospels and go to Luke chapter 8. Because Jesus made this pretty clear uh, in the parable of the sower. In Luke 8 chapter 4. I hope I got this passage right. Here it is, Luke 4, 8, 4. He said, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. Now bounce down to verse 11 because he says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root and they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they get on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit doesn't mature. And then verse 15, he says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Man, a guy named R. Kent Hughes, he, he described this, um, the people in this parable, he described their hearts as having either hard hearts, shallow hearts, infested hearts, or fertile hearts. Now we don't have time to unpack all the different hearts that are contained in that parable, but the larger point is that it's possible to have an encounter with Jesus Christ that never results in a love relationship with Jesus, where he becomes a treasure so incomparable that you're willing to deny everything else to follow him because you realize there's nowhere and nobody else in the universe who contains the words of life, like Peter discovered. Remember that time? We've, we've probably I've gone through this verse like dozens of times when Jesus had this large group of disciples bail on him. And he looks around at his 12 and he says, what about you guys? Are you out? 
And Peter says, what does he say? He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter recognized in that moment just what it was, who Jesus was and what he contained and how there was no other place to find it but in Jesus. It's possible to have an encounter with Jesus that never results in a love relationship with Jesus. We would say that people who wander from the faith and never return are those where seeds of the gospel were planted but never took root. But here's what we also learn from this passage is that it's possible for Christians to wander, right? It's possible for Christians to wander into areas of heresy and false doctrines and worldliness while still being authentic Christians. You know what this does for me? And this is what it should do for you is that it slows me down. It slows me down. It causes me to pause. It causes me to not be so quick to point. But it slows us down when we see brothers or sisters leaning into things that are out of alignment with the gospel. And have maybe even created patterns in their life. We can wander from the truth in the same way that I can wander from the kitchen but still be in the house. But I'm gonna go hungry if I don't get back to that pantry at some point. And it's the same with Christians who don't stay close to Christ through the benefit of Christian community. Eventually they will be wandering from the lifeline that God has provided to keep them grounded in truth and encouraged by that truth and living out that truth with others. Here's the thing, without a healthy church and a thriving Christian community, you run the risk of being what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, you run the risk of being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, he says, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What James is saying, what Paul was saying is that we are susceptible to drifting. We are susceptible to not staying close to truth. It's kind of like texting while driving, right? I know nobody here does that. I know that doesn't exist anywhere in this room, certainly not up on this stage. But if you text while driving, what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to drift into another lane, maybe another car or off the road altogether, right? Successful driving happens when your eyes are on the road and I sound like my dad right now. I get that, right? But James in chapter 1, verse 21, this is what he said. He said, look, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and instead receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's saying receive and continue to receive the thing that will keep you close to Jesus, that will keep you close to the salvation of your souls. We need a steady intake of Christ. We need a steady intake of his word. We need a steady intake of his community so that we can endure through the trials and we can run the race that is set before us. 
Like, you would never fill up your car with Coke Zero and expect to make it all the way to the Outer Banks for vacation. I know one of you guys after the service is gonna say, actually, I developed this automobile that like runs off Coke, Ronnie. I don't wanna hear from you. (laughs) None of you believes you can binge watch Netflix every day and then expect to wake up one morning and qualify for the Boston Marathon. Again, I know one of you guys has done that. I don't care to hear from you about that today. (laughs) We become what consumes us, is what James is pointing out. And worldliness will consume the person who wanders from the kind of wisdom that gives evidence of godliness. Does that make sense? But a wanderer is just that. It can also indicate a return to something. Sometimes I will be driving, we'll be going on a bit of a trip, and at some point, because I knew where I was going to a point, I'll forget to turn my GPS on, and I'll miss like three important turns that I was supposed to have made like an hour before, right? But it's not like I can't get back, I just need to turn my GPS back on to get me back on track. When we wander, And sometimes we do. God has provided something, and specifically someone, which is called the church, to be the tracking system to get us going in the right direction again. He says in verse 19, he said, If anyone among you wanders and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of of sins. So sometimes we wonder. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself coming back from some kind of wandering back into the warehouse this morning. Maybe some of you wandered into the warehouse. But what God does in his grace and his mercy is he also provides rescuing, which is where all of us come in, especially when we have wanderers in our midst of who we may have been many times because he says if someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings him back whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death so part of the calling of the church body is to care for our wandering brothers and sisters how do we do that well we do it by doing everything in our power to plead with them to return to the faith And what these really are, if we can look at it this way, is these are loving rescue efforts. They're loving rescue efforts that God will use to pull someone back from the brink of destruction, of the destruction of both body and soul, which is what happens and what what the danger is when we end up wandering from truth. So part of your responsibility, part of my responsibility as the church is to love and care for those who we see that are wandering from the faith. And man, that is so hard for us to do sometimes. That is really hard for us to do sometimes. Sometimes we we just prefer to let people go. It's a little more convenient to maybe gossip about the place that they are wandering in and the state of their heart as a wanderer, or just ignore them because, man, that's a hard conversation. 
instead of loving them like a parent that searches for a child who is lost. And when they find them, what do they do? Man, they bring them back home. Now, to be clear, none of us is responsible for saving any soul from death. We don't have that kind of, of power. We're pretty clear about that, right? Throughout the years here at Substance, that's a work exclusively for the Holy Spirit. But this is what James is saying. When we pursue a wandering soul, God can use our efforts to pull that soul from the death that they are heading towards. I, I grew up riding dirt bikes, and I remember when my dad was teaching me how to ride a dirt bike, he oddly did it on the street, I don't know. And I was riding in circles, and he was teaching me throttle control, just give it a little gas. And then at one point, because I was probably way too young to be on a motorcycle, um, my wrist locked. And I just started going, I started heading towards this wall, this brick wall that was right next to our house. And I couldn't stop. And he's yelling, uh, let off the throttle, let off the throttle. And it's some, somewhere in my five-year-old mind, I, you know, I didn't understand English anymore and I'm scared to death and my wrist is locked and that thing is just heading straight for the wall. And right before it hits the wall, I feel myself jerk back. My dad pulled me back off the bike. The bike hits the wall, the bike's mangled and totaled, but there I am, it was, it was kind of a sight to see, there I am laying back on my dad's chest as he's laying there going, oh no, I broke my back, you know. And, um, but he, he saved me, which is really a picture of what happens when we are wandering and we are heading towards a wall, we are heading towards something that is going to create a collision in our spiritual life. Proverbs 6.27 reminds us, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So the thing with wandering is that when we're in the middle of doing something that is drifting from what we know to be true about Jesus, our eyes become blind. And we understand that when we look at other people that are just caught up in sins that have become blinding and deceptive, to them, and they lose all sense of perspective. And when I was heading towards that wall with my wrist lock, I didn't have any perspective. I just, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to make this motion with my wrist and hit those brakes. He had to pull me back. He had to rescue me in that moment. I wasn't able to do it myself. So it's true that we can't save a person's soul and thank the Lord for that, but we can be part of the Lord's loving rescue effort. First John 5, 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that don't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Again, don't have time to unpack that, but he says all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So when we see a brother or sister who we know Man, this is somebody who has been saved by the blood of Christ and they're in a bad way. Man, God has given us, because the spirit of God lives inside of us, this opportunity to encourage and plead and urge and pull them back. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do we ever imagine and think that part of our job to do with the people that God has connected us with and given us friendship with in the church 
is to say, hey man, how are you doing? Man, are there things that are just sort of scraping at your soul? Are there things that are causing you to, to drift, even if it's ever so slightly, away from Jesus and the truth of God's word? Hey man, we can talk, this is a safe place. We can confess those things to each other. Remember how we learned last week. We can be honest and vulnerable with each other. We can pray for one another. Galatians 6, 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So again, we, we approach people not, because, not out of anger, but we approach them in a way and in a manner of which is inviting and welcoming them back to the place where we actually know they, they want to be and their heart longs for. And then he says this, Paul says at the end, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. So we think of all these people wandering as if like we're not susceptible to that. And yet we are closer to their wandering than we are to not wandering. So God uses us as people who are involved in his loving rescue efforts towards wanderers. And then finally, he covers. So we have wanderers, we have rescuers, and then we have the coverer, the one who gives us and provides us with covering. The shocking beauty of God's grace, listen, is that the blood of Christ is able to cover the worst of our wanderings and the consequences that our wanderings bring. So the pain and the regret and the shame and the hurt that we've received and we've caused others in our wanderings, in those seasons, in those minutes and hours and days and sometimes months and sometimes years, we are people that are far from God. Somehow, it's all covered. We see this in the story of Peter in Luke 22. Remember Peter? Oh man, Peter was so, he, he, had, he just had he, had, he was just, he was one of those dudes that just, that, that spoke way ahead of where he was. Jesus, I will die for you. Jesus didn't ask him to die for him quite yet. But, Jesus, but Peter said, I will die for you, Jesus. And he said, in actuality, Peter, it's gonna be just the opposite of that. You're gonna act like you don't know me in less than 24 hours. And of course that happened. And of course the famous story of Peter betraying Jesus and then the famous story in the courtyard when they're hauling Jesus away and he connects eyes with Peter and he just looks at him. And then Peter runs out weeping bitterly in remorse. What happened in that moment? What was really happening in that moment? What was happening in that moment was that Jesus was covering Peter with eyes of compassion and forgiveness. And it broke Peter down. It brought Peter back. And that's our story too. Remember the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. This kid, oh my gosh, this kid, man. You think about your kids doing stuff, then you read the story of the prodigal son. And you read about this kid doing stuff to his parents. He leaves his father, takes all the money that his father had for him later in life, squanders it all, 
lives like hell. But his father never leaves him. There's so much to unpack when we look at that story. But what do we see at the end but a father that is so eager to run to his son, so eager to bring him back in and shower him with the blessings that were already his. He just didn't realize it. But what do we see that? We see the posture of a father who is constantly wanting to welcome and invite in and care for and show compassion to and cover the love of God through the cross of Jesus Christ is what covers wanderers and restores them to a place of wholeness. Again, this is the good news. So maybe you're a wanderer. And you know what? There are different kinds of wanderings, I think, as I was reflecting on this. Because you can... You can also be close to Christians, but be far from Christ, right? Man, you're here every week, clicking on the live stream, but your life doesn't really resemble Jesus. Your pursuits don't resemble the life of a resurrected person. And maybe it's just these little things that are stealing your love. And maybe it's time to quit wandering into those areas that you don't give enough thought to because they don't feel like they're having that dramatic of an effect in your life. But it might be time before those things spiral to a place that they always spiral to. Maybe it's time to do some reordering of your loves, as Tim Keller likes to phrase it. You might be somebody who's more like the prodigal son, Man, maybe you look at your life and you go, man, I, I don't even, it would be hard for me to have a conversation with somebody if they ever knew where I've come from or the things I'm involved with right now on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And maybe, maybe somebody's been pressing into you and it's time to have a conversation with them and have the courage to share your sin and your fears and your shame and your issues with the church or your trouble with Christianity or your struggles with Jesus. I mean, do we think that he doesn't get that? Do we think that those are, do, do we think that those are ideas that he's never heard? So the call and the invitation then as a wanderer is to come back. And sometimes it just takes a sermon like this for the spirit to call you and bring you back. Because here's the thing that we know about Jesus. He doesn't wander. And he hasn't wandered from you. And when you come back from your wandering, you'll realize that you are still his son or daughter because his true sons and true daughters always come back. And when they come back, they're always covered. Maybe you have nothing to come back to because you were never with Jesus in the first place. We're glad you're here because what you really want 
and I'm going to tell you what you really want. I don't like people telling me what I want. I'm going to tell you what God says you really want. You really want your sins to be covered. That's the longing of your soul, is for that fear and that guilt and that shame to finally be covered, to feel wholeness again, to be renewed, to have that guilt and that shame finally pulled off like the burden that it's been for so many years. So the message from James for us is this. Return to Jesus. Come back from your wandering. Uncover those things to Jesus and then be covered anew by Jesus. By his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, and his compassion. What better time for us to lean into these things than now? I don't know what your last year has been like. I know what my last year has been like. I know that as a church, we have one thing that's going to bring healing and wholeness and unity to a very troubling year. And that's us returning to the grace and mercy and compassion that Jesus is always offering to us. Why? Because he is not far from us. He is not far from this church. He is with us right now within these brick walls. He lives to make intercession for us, to hear our prayers, to once again show us his gentle and lowly Spirit. That's what he has for wanderers of all kinds, of all varieties. That's the hope of the gospel. Romans 4. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is the place that we all need to be in. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that because of Christ, we have not a covering, we have the covering. So Lord, we thank you that as we finished our time in the book of James, we thank you for these words that you inspired the half-brother of Jesus to write. And they've been words of wisdom and truth. They've been words of refreshment and renewal to our souls. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would lean heavy into the grace of Jesus, Lord, so that we can live lives that are characterized by your wisdom. Not a worldly wisdom that just seeks power and seeks ways to get ahead and attempts to build personal empires around us. Lord, a wisdom that recognizes your kingdom and that gives us a heart that seeks that kingdom first and trusts you to provide us for all the things that you already know that we need. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gentle and lowly spirit towards us and that when we come to him in humility, when we acknowledge our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin 
He's faithful and just to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So Lord, I just pray for all the wanderers out there today that you would bring them back, that you would use our church family to uniquely do some of that work, some of those rescue efforts. I pray for those that have never, that have never been back because they've never been here in the first place. They've never enjoyed a relationship with you, Lord, that you would draw them to you. You would reveal yourself to them in the only way that you know, the only way that you can. Lord, we pray that we would be able to celebrate those who have been brought from death to life, who have acknowledged their sin before you, who have asked for forgiveness, who have said, I don't want to be a wanderer. I don't want to live for myself. It's, it's not worked out. It's not gone well for me. I want to enjoy freedom from my shame and my guilt. Lord, I pray that those would come before you today with honesty and receive that forgiveness and that renewal of life and that they would have the courage to share it so that we can celebrate with them, so that we can welcome them into the kingdom in this church family as fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, would you do that work? Would you humble us today in that work, Lord? Would you draw us back to Jesus, we pray in his name, amen.